a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Welcome to the Menopause and Cancer podcast, where we speak with cancer patients, survivors, and brilliant menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and ideas to improve our health. Welcome to day five of our mini-series of our Menopause and Cancer Crash Course, where I want to wrap up and really present to you all of the treatment options that are available to us. A couple of days ago, I spoke about our non-hormonal prescribable options. Yesterday, we spoke about hormonal, vaginal, and systemic hormones and the options and the problems around that. Today, I want to talk about complementary therapies. I've really, to me, it's like having these buckets, the menopause buckets, and their complementary therapy bucket is super, super important. And when I talk about all of those menopause buckets, our toolboxes, whatever they are, I don't think that we just need to do one thing and then that be it. I think an approach where we do a little bit of different things might be really helpful and really that we keep exploring. It's the beginning of a new year. Just because last year you might have tried a herbal medication or a bit of acupuncture, that doesn't mean that it's not going to work for you this year. Sometimes it's good to revisit things. Sometimes we give things not our full attention. We do things half-heartedly. We're too busy. Often women say to me, Dani, I think acupuncture really has helped, but I was just too busy. I haven't been going every other week for my acupuncture appointment. And so it's also revisiting what have you done in the past that has helped? What have you done that hasn't helped? And is it worth considering revisiting that? And who are you? Have you ever done anything to do with complementary medication therapy? You know, because if you haven't, this is going to be a whole different thought process to someone who's used complementary therapy in the past. And I think it's exciting that we have all of these opportunities out there, but it also needs to work for you. Sometimes we have a gut feeling, don't we, of what we want to do, of what feels right, of what we want to explore about more. And I think it's important to go after and with that gut feeling and not override it. Whatever you're interested in, explore that a little bit further. And that is the whole point of my mini series. I just want to lay it all out there so that you go off and you do your own research of what might feel right for you. Complementary therapies are well researched. We have plenty of data telling us how beneficial they are and how effective they are. And in that bucket, we have complementary um, therapies like CBT, cognitive behavior therapy, CBTI, cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia, herbal medication, mindfulness, yoga, and some other um, modalities like reflexology, for example, like um, what's it called, kinesiology, and so other healing modalities that are perhaps lesser researched, but some people find them incredibly helpful. Now, let's talk about CBT. It had a bit of a bad reputation because of the NICE guidelines being updated, and many people are saying this is going like backwards. This is taking women back in medicine. But for someone who's had a cancer diagnosis, cognitive behavior therapy can be very helpful. And for someone who hasn't had a cancer um, diagnosis, cognitive behavior therapy can be very helpful. It's not going to change your symptoms massively. So say we use it for hot flushes. It's not going to stop your hot flushes or the severity, but it's going to, and it can really change how you perceive those hot flushes. 
It can help with anxiety. And so it's really important that we allow and open our thoughts to all of those healing modalities. You'll always hear from people around you of someone that it's worked for and someone that it hasn't worked for. If you're interested, I would say research it and ask your healthcare provider if they can refer you, if you can self-refer. Connect to some charities like Macmillan or Breast Cancer Now. You can phone the hotline at Breast Cancer Now. They've got brilliant phone line and you can ask them how could you access cognitive behavior therapy. It's really a different way of thinking about what might happen. I used it a lot when I was in that vicious cycle of severe anxiety. And although it didn't stop my anxious and intrusive thoughts, it really helped me manage them in the moment. And I'm a really, really big advocate for trying all of those complementary um, healing modalities because I think we'd be foolish not to. So cognitive behavior therapy is definitely something that you can consider. Cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia is a little bit different and more specific. And again, it works by helping you really change and look at the pattern that you've developed, change them a little bit, rethink how you're thinking when you're up in the middle of the night or when you can't fall asleep. And it's really relearning a new way of thinking and doing things. When I spoke to Dr. Zoe Shadell, who is a menopause expert, a sleep expert with lots of experience with working with people who've had cancer, she speaks so highly about cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia. And it is the treatment modality she would advise people to try before any medication or anything else. And again, there are different ways of accessing it. I think access is a big topic, isn't it, when it comes to complementary therapies. So how do you access CBTI? You can, again, ask your GP. Can they refer? Can you self-refer? There is an app called Sleepio app. And I think through Macmillan, you can get the Sleepio app for free. Um, you can also work with a sleep menopause expert and they can help you look at that whole sleep awake cycle, whether it's not being able to fall asleep or waking up at three o'clock in the morning. Thanks so much for listening so far. It means a lot. I make this podcast to support other women who faced a similar struggle to me. So if you know someone who you think might benefit from listening, please share a link with them. I would really appreciate it. Now, what I'd like to say about CBT and CBTI is, yeah, they're more time consuming than taking a tablet, but the effects can also be profound because they are long term positive effects. Whereas if you take a sleeping tablet, for example, if you don't take the sleeping tablet, you're probably back to where you started. Pros and cons to everything. But with complementary therapies, it's usually a patient participation is required. And so that is definitely one of those things which is can't not mention. When we talk about acupuncture, for example, you need to go make that appointment. It can be costly. And it, if you're a busy, busy person, it might just be that one thing too much that stops you from going for acupuncture. We know acupuncture is really, really good and is proven to help with hot flushes, anxiety and sleep, for example. But it's getting to the appointment, is finding a trusted source. And we know these are all obstacles to accessing these treatments. But again, think outside the box and ask in your local community, local cancer center, Future Dreams House, should you be local, for example, in London, they do acupuncture sessions for their patients and for all of the people walking into the house. 
but I know that doesn't you know if you're up north for example then that's not going to be an option for you and so it's trying to think is acupuncture something I'd like to try maybe I'll ask my GP maybe I'll just ask a few people in my local community of how I can access it can you build it into your week and can you give it a shot can you go for 6 12 appointments and see if there is any benefit for you and what else you might experience we also need to talk about herbal medication. When I open booklets for really lovely, big, great charities, the paragraph on herbal medication is very short. It usually tells us, careful, there are contraindications and not enough evidence. Both of those things I find very unhelpful and they're negative. They're shutting down the conversation. What I want to say to you is, yes, herbal medication has contraindications because it works and it is powerful. And if it can interfere with the tamoxifen, for example, that you're on, then we also know it has an effect on our body, and that is potentially a positive effect. So we need to find herbal medications where there are no contraindications to treatments that we're on. I know you can't all go back to your doctor, to your oncologist, because they're really busy and they won't necessarily know if a particular herb might have an effect, uh, an adverse effect to other medication you're on. So what do we do? There is a really great website I'm going to list underneath, Sloan Kettering Memorial Centre, and you can put into their database their medication, the herb, um, the supplement you want to take, and any medication you might be on, and it's going to give you contraindications. So you can check yourself. If you found a breast cancer now hotline, for example, and for those who have had breast cancer, you can also say, this is the cancer I've had. I'm on this medication. I'd like to try this red clover or um, anything else, black corosh or St. John's wort or whatever you want to research. They will also be able to guide you. So there are different ways of figuring out if something is safe for you. So safety is key. Now, a lot of people say, I really want to do this properly. And when you want to give herbal medication a proper go, it's most advisable to walk, to, to walk, to work with a herbal medical herbalist. Now, I know not everyone can afford that and not everyone is going to be interested in that. For, but for those people who are interested in herbal medication and really finding something that works for you, this is probably the way to go. There is a brilliant blog post we've got up on the menopauseandcancer.org website on herbal medication, and you can find links to the institute that helps you find registered herbal medicalists. Do your research. Ask, have you got experience with working with people with cancer? Some will say yes, some will say no. I don't think anyone will want to bring you under their wings if they haven't got experience with working with people with cancer. These herbal medicalists are going to do all of the legwork for you. They're going to worry whether there are herbs and it's a contraindication with some other medication you're on, if it's safe for you. It's their job to do that research and that homework. So if you want to really give herbal medication a go and you can afford to see a herbal medicalist, then that would be a really brilliant way. Many, many people in our community have said they've had really, really good results with many of their symptoms. So... Just because something is harder maybe to access, a little bit more difficult to research, don't shut it off. Come up with a plan. Take your time in planning. You're not just going to walk into your local health food store, pick up something and think this is going to fix all of your symptoms. Of course not. Do your research. Research which herb, the medication, the side effects, the contraindications. 
and then maybe seek the help from a medical herbalist. Let's also talk about mindfulness and yoga because we have plenty of evidence that it can really, really help with our symptoms and also when you're off the mat. So a stress reduction methodology, whether that's mindfulness, whether that's yoga, whether that's meditation, for example, is going to have a positive effect on all of us on our today, but also our future health. Just by reducing our chronic stress levels, that can have a positive impact on our bone health, for example. Every person who's had a history of cancer is going to have or have had times where your stress levels were extra high. And whether that is anxiety, whether that is chronic stress, we don't even aware anymore because we function at that level. Some people say, Danny, there's no way I can do meditation. Fair enough. For years, I thought meditation meant sitting there and not thinking about anything. Well, that's not true. There are lots of different ways in how you can stimulate that parasympathetic nervous system. There are courses you can go on. Many are so inexpensive, mindfulness courses. You can plug yourself into a YouTube meditation. We've even had meditations on the podcast. If you scroll back to our first sort of few months of podcasts, all of those small interventions in your day can seriously, seriously help with many of your symptoms. Just by listening to calming music, for example, a couple of times a day for 20 minutes can have a positive calming impact on your overall nervous system. And again, this will also then have a positive impact on other symptoms like hot flushes, like your sleep. And it's kind of like this circle, isn't it? Where do you start to tap into finding help for yourself? And mindfulness, yoga and meditation is an integral part on working on our stress response. The fabulous Dr. Anis Mukherjee speaks about stress a lot. We've just recorded a brilliant podcast episode with her at the end of last year. So do go back and listen to that. Lowering our stress levels is crucial. Now, in this complementary therapy bucket, there will be other things that I haven't mentioned, but the things I've mentioned just now are the things also supported by the British Menopause Society and where we have lots of evidence that they work for people affected by cancer. Right, I'm going to see you tomorrow for part six. And today, just open windows and doors and just think after this video whether complementary therapies are interesting for you to explore at the moment or not.